Hey, welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality with Sydney DeLorean. That's me. I'm here today to talk to you about professional cuddlers. Uh, but before we get into the show, we want to thank our sponsor, Diet A&W. Diet A&W, because dicks don't burp on themselves. And I think it's really progressive of a brand that's an old American standard to be sponsoring such a controversial podcast, let alone allowing us to use the catchphrase, because dicks don't burp on themselves. Um, so that's really great. It's a new marketing um, approach that they're taking. They're trying to go a little more grassroots. They're inspired by modern streetwear brands, and they recognize that I am an influencer. And if they want to move that product off the shelves, they need to reach beyond the Midwest moms who are drinking their vodka diet A&Ws in their basement rec rooms because that's a dying breed. Those women's children are going off to college. The new sad moms are drinking canned wine. And Diet A&W has said, what can we do to appeal to the youth market? And the youth market being people in their late 20s, early 30s. And uh, anyways, I'm just really happy about that sponsorship. Um, it's, it is more of a partnership as they have allowed me to have input on the ad copy. And it's just exciting. So go out and uh, buy yourself some Diet A&W. Post on social media, at them, at Diet A&W, hashtag, because dicks don't burp on themselves. And we're really going to get this movement going. Um so anyways, there's that. We have not yet secured a sponsorship or partnership with Hanes. I'm still going pretty aggressively at them on social media to get a granny panty sponsorship. And honestly, if they would let me in the design room, I think I could up the ante on their granny panties. Because let me tell you something about me. I am a very colorful person. When it comes to underwear, I usually I go black or white usually black, but if I'm wearing a light colored uh, sweatpant, we'll wear a white granny panty. Now, Hanes, they'll sell an all white pack of granny panties. They don't sell an all black pack. You got to buy the pack that has like two whites, two tans, two blacks. And this is what I don't like. White, you get a stain on it, wash it with bleach. You're good. Black, you're not going to see a stain. But any in-between color, the tan or whatever, you have to soak, you have to scrub, you have to put in all these monumental efforts to get the stain out. And I'm just not into all that. I'm not. And so I don't like a mid-range colored when it comes to like socks, underwear, bras, panties, black or white. Because it either needs to be stain-proof or bleachable. Um, but Hanes, they sell these packs with all these cheesy patterns. And I see all these ads on Instagram for underpants that are like, ooh, are you wearing plain underwear? You need to up your panty game and get these underpants that have, I don't know, faux um, Native American patterns on them or like rubber ducky prints. What are you, a toddler? Grow the fuck up. Get some black cotton granny panties. Keep it simple, stupid. What are we doing? We're being all busy, like early aughts. Remember Jersey Shore? Remember Rock of Love? Everyone was extra. We had patterns and prints and accessories, and it was all too much. And in certain areas of your life, underwear, bras, socks, 
Just go get black or white. Get standard colors. Even do solids. I don't care. If you want to fuck around and risk staining your clothes, you do that. But um, so, yeah, I'm trying to get the granny panty sponsorship from Hanes. I'm also trying to get a foot in the door in their design department so we can just put together an all black six pack of cotton panties, which they don't currently offer. And I was offered a job by them a million years ago when I moved to New York with my embarrassing portfolio from my community college fashion design education. And um, I interviewed to work for Haynes Corporate in Manhattan, and they offered me a management position. And I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. This was 2009. They offered me $25,000 a year for a management position. And in case you're not familiar with life or existence, let alone rent in New York, that's not enough to live on. And they told me that um, I was like, well, I would love to take this position. My hours would have to be a firm out time at the end of the day because I would still need to get to my bar job um, because I need to make a living, you fucks. And uh, they said that would not work for them because as a salaried position, I would be working until I was done working. So they basically wanted to work me probably 60 plus hours a week for $25,000 a year to be a manage in management. Fuck off. Um, and that is why careers in fashion are usually um, the, the realm of the um, – financial elite, the generational wealth people, because um, you have to work for free for years until they offer you a decent salary. But had I taken that job, had I taken that job at Hanes, we might be able to go to a store and purchase a 10 pack of black cotton panties. And that would be exciting. Um, I think, you know, if, if Hanes continues to ignore me, I will have no choice but to partner with a brand that, let's say, uses more ethically sourced cotton and labor. Um, not trying to sh throw shade at Hanes right now because I'm still trolling them. I want their money. But if they refuse to give me money, I will move to plan B, which would be partnering with an, a less disgusting company. <sighs> I digress. So professional cuddlers. Have you heard of these? Have you? I have. And um, I, when I first heard of it, I want to say it was like 2013, 2014, 2015. Um, and there was an app that you could sign up into it. And I was poor and I considered becoming a professional cuddler. Um, bottom line is I don't really like touching people. I have a lot of intimacy issues. I find it hard to make physical contact with my friends. So, um, in terms of being a paid cuddler, I think I would struggle with that. But at the time I thought, oh, I could get money and perhaps work on these issues that I have. Um, and maybe get myself to a point where when someone hugs me, they don't pull back and say, you're not a hugger, huh? Um, you know, if I could learn how to naturally embrace another human being, that might be exciting for me. Um, so I was familiar with these services and I will say for this episode, I read 10 articles. I watched two or three YouTube videos. I did not take any notes. Um, so I'm a little bit winging it, but the internet says that these, uh, professional cuddlers appeared in the early to mid 
aughts. And it makes sense for many, many reasons. Uh, Number one, the advent of the internet, right? We're able to connect to people in different ways and find these services because how would you connect with a one-on-one personal, like uh, professional cuddler before the internet? Are you answering ads from the newspaper? Because I'm pretty sure they would all be veiled um, ads for prostitution. Even in the era of Backpage and um, Craigslist before they took down personals, um, they, because uh, cuddling services were advertised on that, but you really have no way of knowing whether or not it's an, like a veiled ad for prostitution, um, versus if there's a company that does, like has a contract basically that you, you sign up with the app, you sign a contract that explicitly states that there will be no sexual contact, that this is solely for cuddling. It allows you to create a more legit operation with clear boundaries of what the service is and what it is not. Um, I also think the early aughts was a nice time for this to emerge um, because I've read, I read a couple articles. One was done by the Good Men Project um, and it basically charted how culturally, specifically for men, what they call homosocial behavior, not homosexual, but homosocial, which would be like two men or to women, to people of the same gender, socializing and being affectionate towards each other in a non-sexual way, that that has become taboo. And the article I read kind of charted the history of this and how, and there's a great book called, oh my gosh, I think it's called Photographing Men. And it's from late 1800s um, kind of through the depression. And it's Uh, photos of male friends and showing that like men used to go get their picture taken together. Um, If you had close buddies or you, you know, work friends, soldier friends, you would go get portraits taken with your friend to, to commemorate your friendship, that this was a vital relationship for you to have. And in these photos, the men are often holding hands or they've got their legs crossed over one another. I mean, they are very affectionate looking photos. And the author of the book says, he's like, were these relationships between these men sexual in nature. He's like, there's a possibility some of these men did have sexual relationships with each other. But he goes, I wasn't specifically interested in that. I was interested in the fact that it was socially acceptable for men who were even married, had partners. They were Their sexuality was never put into question just because they held hands with their male friend or put their arm around their male friend. Etc. And it used to be a more socially accepted thing. And maybe it had to do with, you know, uh, when homosexuality wasn't out in the open, everyone was presumed to be heterosexual. Like you just were. Homosexuals weren't a thing that was thought about or acknowledged, right? It was deeply, deeply put under the rug, closeted, ignored. So if you were friends with another man and you, you know, patted each other in the back or held hands or hugged each other, it wasn't 
assumed that it, like it, there was no homosexual suggestion in that behavior because the idea of being gay was so like, no, like that's not a thing. Um, so everyone look up the book, uh, photographing men, unless I'm saying the wrong title of it. I don't know. I'll probably put it in our social media posts. Um, so <clears throat> mouth sounds are the worst on a podcast and I'm serving them up to you right now. Hold on. Let me drink some water. Um, so anyways, yes. So it was homosexuality wasn't thought about or acknowledged. So there was never any like gay connotation to male behavior. And as you know, being gay became more open. We have gay pride. It's acknowledged. We know that gay people are fucking everywhere, that there are a huge percentage of the population that it caused like a recoil reaction by heterosexual men for fear of being associated with that. And, um, you know, the author of the Good Men Project article said, and this is where we see the development of like when, you know, young boys or men go to movies together, they put a seat between them, this sort of like buffer thing to be like, oh, we're not no homo. Um, and it kind of reminds me of when people were less open sexually and less openly sexually promiscuous. I don't ever want to say when they were less sexually promiscuous because people have always been promiscuous. This it's used to be more quieted. Um, but like it used to be a thing. And I've talked about this on the show years ago where, you know, 50s, 60s, you're at a dinner party and you can harmlessly flirt with your friend's spouse or you can, you know, make comments like, oh, that man of yours. Uh, that was a scene on Mad Men when the neighbor was watching Don Draper build a kid's playhouse in the backyard and Don was all sweaty and drunk and Betty knows he's a cheat, but the neighbor woman's just smoking a cigarette and like, that man of yours, Betty. You know what I mean? Because because there was no assumption that anyone would possibly could possibly stray from their spouse. So the sort of flirtation or whatever was seen to be more harmless. And now that we're, you know, post the era of divorce and et cetera, that it's more understood like that people do cheat, they leave their spouse, people get divorced. People are less like it's there's not a casual flirtation anymore because now it's perceived that there could be intent behind that. You know what I mean? Like people we know people cheat on their spouse. So like you can't like harmlessly be like, "Oh man, Betty, your husband, woo, what I would do to him." You know what I mean? Because it's it's perceived as more literal. And I think that's what's happened in the men's affection arena if i'm making any sense now where we understand that homosexuality is real so now any sort of male affection becomes like oh is that gay and then straight men um or men who are trying to be closeted go out of their way to um I don't know, to, to make sure that no one could possibly mistake any of their behavior for being homosexual. Women, it's different because especially early aughts, raunch culture, like women were encouraged to make out with each other, like, because that was okay. Like dudes kissing dudes. Oh no. But like chicks kissing chicks, it, it seemed like less of a condemnation of who they are as a person. And I, I, uh, 
I always talk about this, like, I wish that sex was more perceived in this way that, like, you could, if you're a dude, you can suck a dick and it doesn't mean, like, it, it, it fundamentally does not change who you are as a person. Like, you don't all of a sudden go, wait, am I gay? Am I not allowed to date chicks anymore? Do I need to change my social media profile? Do I need to buy shorter shorts and a Mazda Miata because I'm now I'm clearly gay because I sucked one dick? Like, because women, when they make out with each other, it's not like, oh, you're a lesbian now. It's just like, yeah, no, you're, they're just drunk and fun and or whatever. And so I wish just in general that it could be that way. Like, you know... If you're a dude, you can suck a dick. It doesn't really necessarily mean you're gay. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. It means that you sucked a dick and you hopefully had fun sucking a dick. Or you didn't and now you know you don't want to do it again. Just like you can wear you can wear a dress and um it doesn't mean that you're trans. Like it just means you like wearing a dress sometimes, you know? Or you can be like me and have a fundamental aversion to pushing your tits up or like wearing anything that like draws attention to tits it doesn't mean that I'm like trans it just means that like I'm not a t- I have tits I'm not a tit girl I don't particularly enjoy having tits I don't emphasize them they're just you know these things that happen to me on my chest but like I don't think that I'm non-binary just because I hate tits you know what I mean <sighs> anyways oh it, it it all gets so so it excessive with the labeling it's like we've become the gender version of record store guy who there's like these sub 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 genres of music and it's like and if you don't if you're not up to date on all the sub 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 genres of music you're not cool like and it's like bro like I don't have time to learn the 75 fucking genders like if you tell me like your pronouns I respect your pronouns it's but but the 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 need to label I guess seems really uh, excessive. Am I getting canceled? Am I canceled right now? Am I I'm I'm on my way. Excellent. See, I will have to move to Texas because I'm gonna get fucking canceled, and I'm gonna have to move to, and not even Austin, like not even the liberal. I'm gonna have to move to like Lubbock, Texas, where um, no one even knows what canceling is. Um, so anyways, so the the early aughts was also the time of this this extreme porn culture where I feel like gender became almost it became like the X games of gender. So versus now where we have the 71 genders and there's all these blurred weird lines and it's an androgynous soup, the early aughts were fucking weird because porn was so mainstream like porn stars were actual celebrities and they all are exaggerated versions of gender and sexuality so women had huge tits huge lips lots of makeup long long hair like remember in the aughts everyone had extensions um, and it was like, it was very cartoonish. And then men had to be super buff, um, big old dongers, like, uh, it, it, men used to get teased if they like got their eyebrows waxed or anything like that, you know, like, oh, he's Metro. And then you put, make a little limp wrist movement with your hand and, uh, you would laugh and laugh and laugh. Not me, but I grew up in the Midwest in a very churchy community. Um, so I feel like, especially in that era of like hyper femininity and hyper masculinity where like these were your 
these were the expectations on what you were supposed to be. And so it's like, yeah, you couldn't possibly just be a dude that like would show affection non-sexually to another dude. Like that's not, whoa, bro, that's not macho. Um, and the same thing with women. And and that, this is when sex became like super, like, you know, uh, it was raunch culture. You were encouraged to be promiscuous, hookup culture, lots of drinking. And so, and this is the era that I came of age in. And so it felt like because sex was just always there. Like it wasn't even lurking under this. There was no subtext. It was the text. And, um, so as particularly me, like I developed this perception that any sort of touch was sexual in nature. And, um, some of the articles I read kind of mirrored this in that, um, all of a sudden, like you're not supposed to express physical affection except to your sexual partner. Um, and like, I've had the conversation with um, people, shout out to Alex from South Carolina, because I had said something on another podcast about like uh, something I was watching and these like friends took a bath together. And I was like, I can't imagine taking a bath with my girlfriends, like just being naked, soaking in a tub with my girlfriends. But like, I also don't like hug my girlfriends or like, I'm, I don't, I don't, it doesn't feel natural to me to touch friends and which is weird because especially listen not to brag or anything but the early aughts um into the audies I I was pretty promiscuous and so like it was like it felt okay to be having like intimate sexual touch with people but then like if like a girlfriend were to like put her arm around me or something I'd be like wait what and I don't know why I just – because um, was I, was the assumption like, oh, this is sexual. Like, oh, get off me, bro. How, like I just – I don't know that in my mind I know how to separate affection from like, from sexual behavior. Um, and this became a widespread cultural thing and it led to people becoming touch-deprived um, because it, it's kind of – it's unrealistic to expect to get everything from one person, right? Like even in relationships to get like, oh, this person shares all your hobbies and interests and they make you laugh and they do this. Like they're going to fucking check all the boxes. Like that's unrealistic. And the same can be said for physical touch, especially because like there are couples where they work opposite schedules or they have young children and the woman is spending time taking care of the children and becomes less affectionate towards her spouse. Like that's a tale as old as time. And people like if all of a sudden like, okay, not we're not throwing a pity party for men here, but okay, you have your wife, you love your wife, you want affection from your wife, and all of a sudden, like, you know, she has a two-year-old and an infant and she's doting on them and not you, it leads a deficit it leads to a deficit. And it's not like you can jerk off, right? Like you can you can come, but like the sort of touch and being held, which creates oxytocin, it's your feel-good hormone, um, physical touch lowers cortisol. Um 
it also increases your immune system. And I don't know if that's in relation to strictly the oxytocin boost and the cortisol depletion or also physical touch. You're exchanging microbiomes with people, which strengthens your microbiome and increases your immune system. I read somewhere that people who do jujitsu have really healthy immune systems and strong uh, microbiomes and they posit it's because you're rolling around and exchanging sweat with people. Um, so that's fun. I can't imagine doing that. I'm so touch averse. I really am for people who think that I'm like the sex girl or, you know, just cause I do sex music and sex podcasts. I'm very weird about touching. Like, I don't know how I would feel about jujitsu. Um, I think that I would have a hard time doing it. I think I would feel very uncomfortable or, or, or this is a sign that I should do it so I can get used to that. Um, but, uh, so what was I saying? So, yeah, so now you, you are, you're, you're this guy in this situation and listen, the kids are going to get older. The wife's going to get more sleep. She'll come back around to showing physical affection, but there's, there can be a gap year or two or three where you are not getting held as much as you want to be. Um, and, uh, and that's when people commit patricide. Um, just kidding, but, uh, they do, uh, in the animal, uh, kingdom as well. Um, they're like, I can't have you doting on these fucking babies, particularly if they're babies from a different parent. Um, that's like the number in, in primates and humans. Like it's, if patricide is committed, it's usually by a step parent. I'm not saying step parents are evil. I'm just saying that, they are. Um, so <laughs> statistically, they're more likely to be so because they don't like this thing that is taking the affection of their romantic partner and they don't feel any dedication to it because it's not carrying their DNA because it's just a, you know, a stepchild. Um, so anyways, yeah, you, so, so now you're in this position and okay, you're not getting touched. Like when you hang out with your bros or whatever, you watch football games, like they're not coddling you. And, um, yeah, and, and you can't have your secretary sit on your lap anymore. That's not, that's frowned upon. Um, and so that's where these services can come in to kind of fill this gap because, and, and they are 90% men using these services. Let's just say that because the, the posit in all articles I read is that women are able to fulfill their need for touch and non-sexual touch, they fulfill it with each other, that we are affectionate to each other. Um, and so we are less thirsty for this um, sort of connection. So it is like 90% men using these. And what they do is you sign up for an app, you pay, it's usually $80 an hour. A lot of these app services take 50%. So the cuddler only gets 40% or, or the what did I just say? The app company takes 50%. So the cuddler is making $40 an hour. An average session is 60 to 90 minutes. And they will go through like holding different poses, experimentation. Um, a lot of these cuddlers say on the first session, they'll just look into the person's eyes, like that manner of connection can be really important to them, um, which was the whole crux of Marina Abramovich's The Artist is Present, right, is that no words are spoken and you are just staring 
you are devoting your attention to just staring into another person's eyes. And that's why a lot of people um, were overwhelmed with emotion and they would cry when they would get their time to sit down with her. Not like, oh, I'm meeting this whole, this great artist, but just that manner of intimacy of like sitting in silence with someone. Um, Cause we don't get a lot of that. Even when you're alone with your partner, you're, you're on your phones, you got TV going, you got a bunch of shitty little dogs crawling all over your lap. Like people, even when they are alone together, you know, two people one-on-one time, are they necessarily fully engaged in the moment or fully seeing each other? Um, and I don't, I don't think so. And I think it can be overwhelming because we're just not used to it. Um, myself as someone who I'm not touchy-feely, I have like a uh, physical and emotional intimacy issues. Like I just even like thinking about being alone with someone like, and, and there, we don't have our phones. What are we going to do? We're going to look at each other. We're going to talk to each other. That's really overwhelming. Um, but that's what these services offer is then for for someone who is touch deprived for an hour, hour and a half, they, they can be touched. They can be seen. They can be held. They can be comforted. A lot of times we don't get to be held. Um, I had a conversation recently with some of my coworkers Um Two other women who are like very strong, like me, they're very independent, strong, macho women, and talking about how what we desire in a partner is someone who is more masculine than us, who can, like, we can relax, like, we can be held and feel like cared for and protected, and we can put down this, um, shield, you know, because that's sort of like powerful Wonder Woman bitch thing. Like it is exhausting. And I'm sure it's similar for men because men have to be macho all the time. You know, men aren't supposed to be soft. It isn't socially accepted for them to be soft. So like across the gender aisle, I think we all can benefit from being with someone who we perceive as being like strong or caring or whatever, and they make us feel safe. Um, And that's what a lot of the people interviewed who use these services said is like one person uh, was a guy in his 40s cried after his first session and said like I've never felt this safe before Um, because okay I talked about the apps I talked about the one-on-one services where you can go to some cuddlers they only do out calls some do in calls some do hotels that the partner pays for Um, there are also cuddling centers and I thought these were really interesting where it is a group setting and you'll have facilitators. Um, There's one in California where they, um, if you've never done one before, you have to show up 45 minutes early because there is an orientation where they talk about ground rules and you need to do two orientations and then you don't have to show up early anymore. But what they do, you show up for an orientation, they go, they talk about ground rules And one of the things that they stress that they work on with their clients is um, teaching them how to ask for what – this is revolutionary. (laughs) This is revolutionary, guys. They teach them how to ask for what they want 
and to say no when something crosses their boundaries. And these are things that are so important. I mean, how many out, how many people listening right now, you are so uncomfortable asking for what you want, asking for what you want, what you desire, even if it's something that you need, you are uncomfortable asking for it. And I know I'm one of those people because I get scared that espousing my needs or desires put is an imposition to others. And it's so, even as someone who works in the service industry, like (laughs) I'll order food, it won't come with the sauce that it was supposed to come with. And I will eat my dry ass food rather than like ask for it. I'm better now. I do ask for my sauce. Don't fucking forget my sauce. I will ask for it. I will, I will feel really, really guilty and shamed about it, but I will ask for my damn sauce. Um, but yeah, so you you will rather than learn how to like accept like my needs are valid, my needs need to be met, this is how I articulate, you know, what I want, you will be so scared of being an imposition by expressing your needs that you just will sit in silence and you will either just accept that deficit and go, okay, well, I don't get my needs met. And why is that? Because you think you don't deserve it? You think everyone else in the world gets to have what they want or just needs to be fulfilled, and but you don't, you know? Like, oh, like everyone else can have fulfilling, rewarding relationships. Not me. Not me. How dare I do that? I don't know, like, why, pe- why it's so hard for people to express their needs or desires. Um, but uh, – what was I saying? Oh, so yeah, you'll either just, okay, you'll you'll accept that you're not getting what you want and you'll live with that emptiness or you'll resent the person for not doing what you want them to do, but you haven't even told them. You haven't even told them. You have not even told them. Like you, you can assume like, okay, this is something that they should know to do, um, but you can't bring yourself to tell them to do it. And I will never forget. Ready for story time? Total aside. Years ago, I think it was like my senior year at ASU, I met this guy on a dating site. We went on a date, got along really well. Um, I think then we went on a second date, went back to his place, fooled around, had sex, good sex. We were both in very good physical condition, but but this gentleman had a giant dong, a giant dong, and did not engage in any foreplay. And I thought like, okay, the first time, because I had told him like, hey, just so you know, my period just ended, so there might be a little spotting. I just don't, you know, don't freak out. Um, so I thought like, okay, well, maybe he just didn't like finger me or like play around with me or go down on me like maybe he just didn't do that because like he was scared that there would be blood because like we made out and then it was it was a real kiss and stick situation and then we had like very nice exciting sex but because he had a huge old donger and I wasn't warmed up like I was super sore afterwards like really sore very uncomfortable it was a fucking problem right and for some reason like at that time I hadn't felt like capable of being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I'm not ready yet. Like you need to get me physically like aroused. Um, and so, and I, and I was like, oh, you know, he's probably scared of 
of blood, like a little fucking bitch. So the second time that we hooked up, we're like making out, like fully clothed. Like we're just kissing. Like he hasn't touched my breasts. He hasn't touched like my fucking arms, my hands, my hips, let alone my coochie. Like we're fully clothed, just kissing. And he's like, are you ready? And I was like, no. And he's like, what? And I was like, listen, like you are really well endowed. And that means that like you need to take the time to warm your partners up because last time that we had sex, like I was so sore afterwards. I was like, this isn't true. But I told him, I was like, I had to go through the McDonald's drive through to get a block of ice to sit on because I was too sore to walk into Circle K to buy a block of ice. Like I was damaged. You know what I mean? So you have to warm. And he like kind of, you have to, I, you have to warm your partner up. And he chuckled at me. Like, like he couldn't have possibly, uh, like, like, what is this crazy woman talking about? And so like, we keep making out and then he just keeps dry humping me, like just aggressively fully clothed, like banging his dong into my pubic bone. And he like, and then he's like, are you ready now? And I was like, no. And I kicked him out of my house. I did. I didn't know what else to do. I was so angry. So because he was a nice person, like we got along, we had so much in common, whatever. But also like I couldn't bring myself to articulate like you need to touch my breast. You need to play with my my labia. You need to touch my clit. Like I couldn't bring myself to say those words to him because I, in my perception, like you're a grown adult. Like we were 28. You're an adult. You should know how the female sexual response works, like that women need to be aroused. Women need to get wet. They need to whatever. You know what I mean? Like this is a thing. I don't have like – I don't have – I I spent most of this podcast talking about my intimacy issues, but like I don't have issues becoming aroused. Like I it, you just – you basically just have to express interest in my body and a vested interest in my sexual desire. Um, and then I will flood my basement, but I could not bring myself to articulate this like any further to this guy than I already had. Like I said, you need to warm girls up and he laughed and didn't get it. And rather than take the time to be like, bro, like, okay, these are the steps that you need to take with not just me, but like any woman, just any woman, these are what you need to do. Instead, I got mad because like, that's how I work is like, rather than explain something to you that let's be real you should already know you know you're a fucking child um I will just get mad because my needs aren't getting met and then I just don't want anything to do with the person uh where did this aside come from oh yeah oh yeah so people are uncomfortable so in these cuddle sessions they'll teach you how to express your needs or desires obviously this is a non-sexual setting so it'll be like i want to be held this way or i want to feel like someone breathe i want to feel your breath on my neck i want to feel you hold me around my shoulders i would like it if you touched my thighs like whatever it is like so whatever it is that makes you feel good and secure you learn how to express and then they also encourage teaching people how to say no and i think that is fantastic. I don't know how things are for men. I can only speak to my experience as a woman. It is really, really hard to um, 
say no sometimes, like in intimate settings, because you go, okay, I like this guy and he likes to, you know, bite my neck and I hate having hickeys and it's so embarrassing, but I don't know how to tell him not to do that. Or I'm trying to think like, you ever been with someone who really likes eating ass? Like they love eating ass, which is like not my thing. I don't, I don't get any pleasure from having my ass eaten. It's just not my bag. But then you're like, well, you know, he seems to be having a really good time. Um, and you just like let it happen. And it's like, <sighs> like, so I think that the idea of, cause sometimes like you just feel like, okay, I'm already in an intimate scenario. So now like all bets are off because I signed up to be here. It's how a lot of women who go home with men end up having sex that they don't really want to have because they realize like, oh, I didn't want it to go this far, but I'm already here. I'm drunk. I took an Uber, like whatever, or they don't know how to say no and they end up with their boundaries being crossed. And so uh, this was the one thing about the professional cuddling or these cuddling services that I was like, this is great. If you learn how to have an open dialogue and because it's non-sexual, these aren't romantic partners, it's not someone you're on a date with that you want, that you like desperately want to like you or whatever, Um it can be an easier playing field to start practicing saying no. So like in these cuddle groups, like they'll have you like, you know, they'll put you with a partner and then they'll like say, okay, now everyone switch. And you will say to the person, like, I would like this. I would like that. Um, and they even like played with boundaries. Like this one guy said to the professional cuddler, he was like, I would like to kiss you. And she just says, no, thank you. Like, that's not what I'm here for. And like very in a very like calm, non-judgmental way was able to say, I appreciate what you're saying. Thank you for asking. The answer is no. And then it didn't have to be weird. They didn't have to be any like awkwardness in this space between these two people. And that is phenomenal. Um, and I think it's something that we could all benefit from practicing is like, you know, asking and expressing like expressing our boundaries um asserting them but like asserting sounds aggressive just a way and to be like okay no I get it that you uh want to take this further that's going to be a no for me and but I, I I appreciate that you asked you know um and so that was interesting. This place did seem kind of weird and culty. So you know that I would never do any of these because I hate a group activity. Um, I'm not a joiner. And uh, I, as I read from these things, like sometimes you ever read and you're like, man, yeah, I could really benefit from that. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Could that benefit me? Absolutely. Am I, am I ready to grow in that direction? No, I am not. No, I am not. Um, I, it's just weird because like, I know like it's a thing, especially people on MDMA, like a lot of, um, and I read about, you know, guys who it's like, yeah, well, we're on, when we're on MDMA, like we'll cuddle or whatever, like, and that's totally chill. Um, and so I, obviously, uh, MDMA is beneficial for helping people break down walls and boundaries. Um, am I going to do that? Probably not. Probably not. Um, like I'm not gonna. I'm. 
I once, the thing is like I was on Prozac in the late nineties, early aughts when all my friends got into ecstasy and I couldn't take ecstasy because I was on an SSRI and I'm pretty sure it's true, but it was the folk knowledge at the time was like, don't take ecstasy if you're on Prozac. So I didn't and I would go to these ecstasy parties where everyone would be rolling and I would be drinking my Strawberry Hill Boone's Farm. And when you aren't on ecstasy and you see a group of six people on ecstasy, it's kind of off-putting. And I don't know if that's me being uptight because I kind of am. Um, But yeah, when everyone just is kind of like horny zombies, there's like rolling around and feeling on each other and you're like drinking Boone's Farm and you're like, I want to dance on tables. It's just weird. And so it kind of soured my interest in that. And um, I also can't imagine feeling that safe and trusting with my friends. Um, and that's, you know, that that's that's sad. Uh, but um, when I still drank, I had a really, like, I had a really close-knit group of friends. I was really close to my bandmates. Um, I had a good circle of friends. Like, I mean, I just, I had a lot of friends and we were really close and we would crash at each other's houses. And, like, we just... I did have a close-knit group of friends, which when I quit drinking and I couldn't be in those environments anymore, like, those friends kind of went away, and um, all I was left with was my abusive partner who kind of isolated me socially. So who knows? Maybe if I had a closer group of friends, like, I would feel, like, safer um, becoming intoxicated around them as it is now when I'm intoxicated. Uh, like when I do mushrooms or whatever, um, I'm alone. I like to be alone. And I think that has to do with like exposing vulnerability or whatever. And also when I get super stoned, I kind of like to be alone, but I do that. I get super stoned around Zach all the time. He likes it. Um, cause I'm nicer than is what he says. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to picture being at a point in my life where like I felt comfortable shrooming with other people. And I guess it would just have to be that I, evolved to a point where I had friends again that I felt close to. Um, but yeah, one of my closest friends, uh, shot herself in the head. Like my friend who I would openly say, like, I love you too. And stuff like that. Like she killed herself. Um, and, uh, my other close friend, uh, I kind of grew away from and then we had a huge fight and don't talk anymore and so like I have um I have Scott McNulty who I've shroomed with um but yeah I don't have like uh I had one other friend who said something uh that really really hurt my feelings and um I'm a coward so I didn't even tell her I just have quietly been um hurt by it for months now almost a year. And, uh, because I'm a fucking coward because I'm a fucking coward because I can't just like hug my friend and be like, you really hurt me. And, um, here's why, uh, you know, instead I go, oh, I, I, I poured myself out to this person who I was vulnerable with, who like I loved and I like wanted to plan, like, like we planned our lives around each other because like that's how close our friendship was and then they hurt me and I don't even have it in me to be like yeah you hurt my feelings instead I'm like well I guess I don't have that fan anymore um so 
what was I saying? Uh, so cuddling. So I think it's good that these places um, are helping teach people to feel more comfortable with touch, to feel more comfortable with verbalizing their uh, boundaries um, and desires. It, it all sounds good. I don't know that I would ever go to one of these places uh, because, yeah, I don't know. That's it's just wild. Uh, I don't I don't I don't like I don't like touch. I don't like touch. Um, so they have these things now during COVID. What's interesting is there are online cuddling sessions. And this one guy wrote about how he like basically like tried it out out of curiosity, but didn't expect to get anything from a virtual cuddle session. And um what the cuddle coach did was like over zoom, ask him about like the last good cuddle session he had, what position he was in, kind of take him, like walk him through being that moment, you know, and like encourage him, like you can get in the position you were in. Let's get some pillows around you to emulate what that feeling was like the last time that you were cuddled. And you can just like meditate upon that and the guy was like yeah it worked like it felt great and now when I'm super stressed or I feel really lonely and isolated because you know everyone is right now uh, if they're staying home during COVID or whatever he's like I go back to that memory and I crawl into bed and I get in the position and I'm able to take myself back to that feeling of being held and it comforts me in what is like the loneliest time in my life um and so that I think is is lovely and I think that's something that you can not spend money on but you can now just understanding the basics, you know, uh, walk yourself through because who hasn't beat off while thinking about like past sex that they've had? So, you know, it's like that but just cuddling. Um, the other interesting thing that I didn't touch on because I talked on about all the sort of traditional reasons that this service would be necessary. Um, what I didn't talk about was people who are disabled, um, both physically and mentally, um, because, you know, a lot of times, and this is where, you, you know, escorts come in as well like for sexual reasons like a lot of times people don't think people desexualize the disabled and so like you see someone who's a quadriplegic and you just assume like he is an asexual being but like quadriplegics still have all the sex hormones and desires of somebody with full motion and what they have is a huge wall that will make it difficult for them to meet people, engage with people, have people interested in them. And like, yeah, obviously, like if you're on a dating app, the guy who has to blow on a tube to move his wheelchair is like on paper, not going to be one of your top picks. You know what I mean? So they have a they have less opportunity for intimacy, both sexual and non-sexual. Um, and, you know, people who have been disfigured in accidents or whatever, like, th think about, like, how hard dating is for an attractive, able-bodied person. <laughs> like, even good-looking, 
financially independent, able-bodied people, like, dating can be a shit show. So, um... Imagine how difficult it is for somebody who is disabled or disfigured or whatever. Like, and so it's an impediment to them experiencing the same sort of stuff that like we take for granted. And, um, that's, you know, there are sex workers who work with disabled people and also, um, the cuddling services are really popular with them because like they still need to feel touch. Can you imagine if the only touch that you feel on a regular basis is like when your caretaker has to help you clean up after using the restroom? Like that is a very, it's a very unfair experience for someone to have. So I'm getting all teary-eyed, empathizing with like this scenario that I'm building up in my mind, but like it is a reality of life for many people. And so, yeah, to be able to feel a loving touch by someone who isn't a paid who isn't a caretaker. I mean, they're still paid, but, um, it, you know, and then there's the people who have, um, you know, mental disabilities. Uh, they have trouble connecting people on the autism spectrum. Um, because I think like people think that touch is something like everyone knows if babies don't get held, that they have, extreme behavioral issues when they get older and so people think like oh yeah babies need to be held but then when children get older you stop touching them like yeah like I you know I cuddle with my baby when they're a baby but I'm I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hug my son once he turns 12 and honestly who wants to hug an adolescent boy they're just greasy and just covered in boners um but yeah, that sort of thing where it's like, oh, yeah, you you show affection to your children when they're young, but as they get older, then you stop. Um, it's a weird thing. Then you just you just kind of grunt and nod at your son because you're men. You go, oh, how was school? Eh. And you just, yeah. It, it seems kind of silly because you you need that touch and stuff into adulthood and lack of physical touch has been linked to depression, anxiety, like all of these things that, um, you know, just a good snuggle can fix. Um, and so, yeah, particularly for people who have psychological disorders that affect them socially, like that's where a service like this could come in and it can get them maybe more comfortable with intimacy and help them behave better and more naturally when they are in social situations um, because they've kind of had this practice uh, of touch and intimacy or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that's super beneficial. Um, apparently 90% of people who use cuddling services don't go back. It's like a one-time thing. And who knows if it's because, you know, like immediately I was like, yeah, because it's fucking expensive. That's why they don't go back for more. Um, but also uh, this one cuddler who I watched a YouTube video of, she was saying, you know, she had clients express to her afterwards that they felt unfulfilled. And it was because after experiencing this manner of physical 
intimacy, like they wanted to go a step further towards sexual intimacy. And so, you know, that they're like, yeah, I paid $80 and it left me with blue balls basically. Like, yeah, we cuddled and we had fun and it felt great, but like, obviously I was craving more. Um, and so I think, she seemed to think that was the largest reason why people did it or just that it was like a stopgap, like in a very lonely time in their life, um, which makes sense. I think it could benefit people who've gotten out of like abusive relationships. Cause as I said, 90% of the men who use these services are 90% of the people who use these services are men. Um, and there are very few male professional cuddlers just because there isn't a huge market for it. Cause like men don't want to be cuddled by other men cause it's gay and women fulfill each other's need for touch, I guess. Cause the, apparently every, every woman is taking baths with other women, but me. Um, but, uh, but I think like in terms of like being a woman who's been like traumatized, like especially experienced like domestic violence, um, sexual trauma, whatever, it could be very healing to experience um, a non-sensual touch and make you feel safe because I think especially when you experience sexual trauma, you begin to like fear touch because touch leads to sex and sex is scary because uh, it, it's been weaponized against you. Um, and we saw it in the stars Nexium series, which was way better than the vow on HBO. The star stars had a four part series called seduced that focused on what's her name? India Oxenberg. And, um, she's out of the cult now, whatever. And it showed her in a like quote unquote healing session with this woman who like held her and like put crystals on her and like did trigger points or whatever. And they said it was like part of her trauma healing, um, which like get the fuck out of here with a crystal. But the idea that number one, to have a particular, a practitioner who is a woman would obviously feel safer for a woman who's experienced sexual assault by a man. Um, but yeah, a, a woman, maybe like an older woman who is maternal and can make you feel safe and protected after a period of your life where you were not protected and you were not safe, I think that would be really beneficial and healing. Um, there is one service on the market now that appears to be thinly veiled prostitution because like the marketing images are all sexy women and it'll be like, get sexy college snuggles. Um, and it, every other agency really hates this company because they're like, it's cheapening what we're doing. It's fucking up the expectations. Um, like, because, yeah, you don't want it. And and the lines seem blurred. Like, some of these legit cuddleists were saying, like, yeah, some customers just want to take me to dinner. Like, they just want to have dinner with someone. Which, at that point, that is escorting. Um, but at least at that point, you've had them sign a contract that sex is not happening. So... They don't feel entitled to that. Um, also, if anyone wants to take me to dinner and pay me for it, uh, that would be great. I like food um, and I like money. Those are two of my favorite things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think all in all, I am very pro these services. I think maybe the group settings are safer um, although I hate group activities, but the one-on-one -on -one seems like it could get 
weird or uncomfortable. Um, the professionals interviewed said they had very, very few scenarios where they had to end a session or whatever. Like, I be, and I think it's because they sign all the, you know, the clients sign all the stuff going in. So the boundaries are set beforehand. Um, but the group one seems even safer because, yeah, you're in a group setting. So it's less likely for the wheels to come off. And you have multiple facilitators helping and encouraging you. It seems more therapeutic. And the one place even had like a little kind of cubby that was like the solo salon. And it was basically like, if you need a break from touch or you're not ready for touch or whatever, you can go to this space and be alone. And I was like, I want there to be a solo salon everywhere I go because I get overstimulated very easily being around lots of people. And if I could, if I had a little cubby I could tuck myself into and be like, no, you guys keep doing your thing. I'm going to be in the solo salon because I need quiet time. Um, that would be great. I think that I'm that's 90% of why I want to get rid of my Miata and get a van is so that I can just go sit. If I get like overwhelmed or whatever, I can just go sit. I can lay down in a quiet space. I will have a traveling solo salon uh with me. Um and just like magic, we've hit an hour and uh, hopefully you've learned a lot. I didn't name drop any of these services because I didn't take notes, um, but you can obviously look it up. You have Google. Um, so yeah, thanks guys. Uh, happy hump day and we'll talk to you soon.